Damn, is that the best pictures, boys? I am a man who watches movies. I watch movies every day. He watches movies every day. I saw a film called Oh Brother. Where art thou? And it was great. Oh brother, it's fucking great. Now I love the Cohen brothers, except for a serious man. Except for a, a serious man. I picked this as my favorite movie of the year 2000. His favorite film of 2000. Uh, we're talking about a brother where art thou. Please don't unsubscribe. Damn, we're in a tight spot. This is Best Pictures, the podcast where we pick our favorite movies for every year we've been alive. I'm Cody Lunsford, and I am joined, as always, by... Yours truly. I'm yours truly, too. Perfect. Um, So the way this podcast works is we pick our favorite movie for every year we've been alive. This is the beginning of our 2000 miniseries, um, and Chad gets the first picture. 2000 miniseries. Yep. Can't believe we've had that many. (laughs) So many. Uh, Uh, um, I I remember back in the day when we were talking about uh, the tablets. <laughs> we picked them yeah. for whatever year. My favorite movie is The, the Ten Commandments. Right. Yeah. What's not, not the movie. <laughs> the the actual commandments. commandments. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite sin? From I that actually, <laughs> um, I'm actually like the remake better where he had to go back up and get him again because he broke the originals. Yep. Um, right. It's weird how like, you know, we just keep remaking things like The Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, so Chad picked Oh Brother Where Art Thou for this year, but we'll um, talk hold about on, that one later. more joke. Um, that year they gave the Razzie to the Golden Calf. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Okay. So um we're gonna talk about Oh Brother Where Art Thou later. But before that, I wanna know Aww. what you boys have been seeing at the Megaplex. So let's start with uh I don't know. Let's start with me, because I feel like I have the less to say. Wait, uh, well we have to set you up for it. We gotta like set the layup. Or the alley oop. What's basketball? Um Hey, Cody, what have you seen in the uh, Megaplex lately? Um, so I weirdly have not been going to the Megaplex that much um, because there had been stuff coming out and I just was like, well, I don't really care about seeing that. Um, so I watched the movie on Netflix called Triple Frontier, which is directed by the guy who directed A Most Violent Year, which I have not seen yet, but I had heard was really good. So I was like, you know what? I'll check this out. Um, and the cast is pretty, you know, spectacular. It's, um, Oscar Isaac, Ben Affleck, Pedro Pascal, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hudland. Um, and they play like ex military who are basically going down in, um, into either central or South America and robbing this guy and stealing a bunch of money. And then it's about them trying to bring the money back into the States. Um, 
pretty tense, pretty well done. Um, it dragged a little bit for me as it went. I was like super on board in the beginning and it just started to lose did, me a little did bit. Did it get into like hour 31 minute territory where you, you just start to lose interest? A little. Well, no, <laughs> it was it was more. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but I was like, because here's the thing with Netflix movies. They don't really impose any like cuts or like limits to anybody (laughs) which sometimes are helpful and i feel like this one could have gotten maybe a tiny bit tighter Um, do you think that that's an issue in their feature department too i know it's a big issue in tv like definitely sabrina the teenage witch every single every episode could be half as long Yeah. yeah um i actually really do think that's a problem with their features because they just like i mean it's 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 cool for creators to just get to do what they want but i think mm-hmm. a lot of people think they want to be able to do whatever they want and truly some of the best creativity comes from having to figure shit out or workarounds like all the stories right. you hear about famous movies are like well we couldn't do this so we did this you know like yeah and uh, yeah i do think that's a problem um you know Dude, there's have some you seen- Slightly different note, but like related. Have you seen the new Arrested Development episodes? I like ju- the second half of season five. I just watched the first episode of season five B, and I liked it well enough. But uh, I think the show's bad now because like it's too awkwardly long and like drawn out. It's uh, not as like snappy as it used to be. Yeah, well, truly, it's like the same issue for me. Where like yeah. they need to have that twenty-two minute network like time constraint with like commercial breaks and like you have to have it punch at like these breaks in order for it to actually be on tv well not every show but i think arrested development specifically like it was made for that mold and those characters were made for that mold and it works best mm -hmm. in that mold well i liked season four well enough but like this new season is just like i don't like it at all well and i also think the other problem is the the show had always been pretty serialized, which is why it didn't work that well, because you had to follow so much. But this show is leaning even more into the Netflix serialization, and you have to, like, follow right. so much, and there's so much going on, and they, like, cliffhangers every episode and stuff like that, and I just don't know that it always works for it. Yeah. But no, Netflix, I, I agree. Netflix gives us great stuff. Um so I mean, Stranger Things. Season three looks like it's going to be a masterpiece. masterpiece. Um, but we are coming hot off the hills of the Apple TV Plus announcement. So I'll be fascinated yeah. to see what they do with their shows, seeing as they have truly some of the biggest creators in the world working on it. Right. Biggest surprise was I was waiting to see what J.J. Abrams' show was going to be. And it's a fucking it's just musical. about Sarah Bareilles. Like, <laughs> Look. Wait, what? Yes. Yeah, it's... He J. J. and Sarah Bareilles yeah. are collaborating about like a, a singer songwriter who's trying to get started like at a young age or something. Look, here's that's crazy. Here's the thing: J.J. J. Abrams' hero is Spielberg. He tries to emulate Spielberg a bit in his career, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Spielberg. I don't, I don't really see that in his work, but go on. Don't we wish J.J. Abrams made more original stuff, by the way? I just I think about that a lot. Anyway, yeah. I, I like people who make franchise stuff, but I like them to go and make, you know. Anyway. Yeah, um, like Super 8 was his last one, right? His only His one. last, du- yeah, that's true. Wait, and the, really? the, the one he directed, he's produced like Cloverfield sure, movies. Right. Yeah. His directorial I guess I debut sort of was thought... Mission Impossible, Chad. And then yeah. he did I guess Star Trek I always Star sort of thought as cloverfield as like his thing but it's not he just produced it's it. matt reeves yeah, yeah. um yeah. so anyway 
Spielberg is his hero. He wants to emulate Spielberg's career, right? Spielberg produced Smash. J.J. <laughs> Abrams has to produce <laughs> his musical drama. Um, no, I mean, and Spielberg was there. He's doing Spielberg amazing stories crash. again. Do what? Um, I didn't realize that Spielberg did Crash. Smash. 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 I mean, he like executive produced it. I don't know how involved. I mean, I don't. I've seen the show. I don't think he was involved. You don't think he was like on set? <laughs> I don't think so. He wasn't like running the writers' room. I don't think him and Catherine McPhee and Megan Hilty were like going for mimosas. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, everybody watched Smash. Um, Mark, what did you see at the Megaplex? I uh, watched a documentary about the movie First Man. Geek check. It's called um, Ocean, not Ocean's Eleven, Apollo Eleven. Uh huh. <laughs> What's it about? Um, it's ju- it's just like um, footage from the '60s of like the, the first moon trip, and it's gotcha. pretty cool. So, do they show like the soundstage and the like? Yeah, the there's a lot of like Kubrick walking around in the background. Oh, nice! Uh, it's a lot of like the production issues of simulating the ger- the zero Gs. It's really interesting. Right. No, it's it's about like the actual like cameras, like the the cameras that were like on the spaceship and like. So you're seeing the astronauts, and you're seeing the, like the lead up to the launch, and then mission control as they're like flying to the moon and like getting on the moon and coming back. It's pretty cool, especially if you're like a space nerd like I am. Yeah, if you say so, Ron Howard and Tom Hanks. Did they produce that? Uh, uh, th- I don't th- think they so. made Apollo 13. That... Oh, <laughs> yeah. right, right. I the mean, sequel. I was about to say, why does that sound so right that they would be really interested <laughs> in the space uh, adventure? But. Ron uh, Ron Howard also featured pretty heavily in the Apple TV announcement today, but then didn't announce whatever show he's working right. on. Right, so. he was just in the teaser. He was just in yeah. the teaser. But M Night Shyamalan was also I'm, in the teaser and not produ- like not announce yeah, his show. I'm really fascinated to see what Shyamalan's show is and Here's what if thing. it's his first like bad thing again since he started making good things. Maybe we're gonna have to get Apple TV Plus. That's aren't we? what. That's the unfortunate thing about it is there's just gonna Fuck. be too much good stuff on it. But We're, hey, that makes my decision about Apple Arcade a lot easier. Not getting that <laughs> right. No, I was never going to get Apple Arcade. No, I mean the indie game—they look kind of fun. They look kind of fun. I have, and there's I have a Sonic Nintendo game, like, and Chad's wet for Sonic always. I'm you know. so wet for Sonic. Give me wet that trailer, Sonic. baby. But it's um, just we—we we are going to have to pony up for Apple TV Plus and Disney Plus at the same time, and that's what I'm not looking for. It's just to, not but. fair that the big, the two biggest corporations are like pumping more TV into an already overly saturated. Well, and we can't uh, ignore it. It can't market. be like CBS we can't, we, out, All Access where we can kind of ignore it and just right. maybe like sign up. Download it Zone. for the Twilight Zone, then cancel. We right. can't do that for like 11 shows. That, that are like produced incredible. by the greatest people on the planet. And then also yeah. on the other side, Star Wars and Marvel and High School Musical the Musical. Yeah. <laughs> hey, See, you speaking say, of the you greatest... Say that we can't ig- you say that we can't ignore it, but I say... Watch me. No, fuck off, Mark. I'm, I'm you say, not you say watch me. I say watch yourself. Okay. I, well, I saw. Okay. I saw yes. us. Uh, I tried to do. Okay. You said speaking of the See, greatest that's actually, creators, Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to segue that way. We also talked about CBS All Access and Twilight Zone. That's Twilight another way. Zone. There were a lot of segues. <laughs> it was just like we wanted to talk about us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Us, and it's really weird and really scary and really funny and really good. Um, I don't know that I've seen, like, it has, like, 
horror elements that you see all the time in it but those things aside like i don't know that i've seen a movie quite like it before like it's plot is so far out there and some of its ideas are just like extremely unique right i don't know i'm, I'm stepping around spoilers here but uh I was, it's hard to talk was, about this movie truly well i yeah. i think from the trailers it's obvious that there is like a co- like a, a family that is a copy of the original of like the main family right, right? we don't yeah. have to avoid that spoiler right i um i saw a tweet today that apparently like the the concept and even like where that family comes from and their motivation comes from like a Norwegian folklore. Interesting. Um, oh. Which is interesting to me. That is cool. And like, but yeah, like I like I I I think me and Cody also watched us. Yes. Um, if that wasn't clear. and uh, us liked it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We liked it. I liked it too. I was unsure on some things. I really, really need to re-watch it because I've sat with it and thought about it and yeah. been kind of blown away in how it was created. Like, just watching it, it was like, I'm not watching a normal horror movie. It, it no. truly... F- and you get that from truly the first seconds of the movie. It it truly... And not in a, like, oh, it's not actually a horror movie. That's not what I mean. It, it didn't no, feel it like is. I was watching a normal movie. It feels like when I watch an auteur movie. It feels like what yeah. it feels like when I watch a Nolan movie or a Shyamalan movie, where I'm like... Yeah, I this is I this I'm sitting and watching one person's like vision for this like yeah. in a and very person, specific way, and that person is really 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 good at making movies. Yeah, really good. <laughs> He's literally probably, literally probably uh, the filmmaker whose career I'm like most looking forward to like watching. I think so, too, because there's a lot of directors I like, but it's because they've made a ton of movies already. Right. Like, him and Ari Aster are, like, two incredible horror directors that we're about to just watch blossom um, in the next few years, and I'm really looking forward to both. I think Ari Aster may make Art House um, stuff forever. Peel will make the jump into, like, popcorn franchise movies at some point. I mean, he's doing Twilight Zone. I don't know. He signed on to do Candyman. A, a he's like, he's producing yeah. it, or he's uh, just producing. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I am. Jordan Peele is fascinating. I mean, it, there are only a few directors for me that fall into this. Like, there's lots of directors where they make something new, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool, I'll check that out. There's not many directors where I sit and as the credits roll, I'm like, okay, what's next? Um, and kind of currently, even though Spielberg's my boy. The only people I really feel that about right now are Jordan Peele and Christopher Nolan. Like, those are kind of it for me. Mm. Um, well, also Fincher, but Fincher just hasn't made a movie in five, six years. making, like, Netflix shows now. What, Mark? I said Fincher hasn't made a movie in six years, yeah, that, five years. Yeah, that's why I've forgotten about Fincher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, like after Gone Girl, I remember both of us were like, okay, what is Fincher going to do next? And the answer was nothing. sit on his ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, I am ready for Jordan Peele's big blockbuster. Um, I 
I am so fascinated as to what that will be. I don't think he's going to stay away from it forever because he loves pop culture. He loves big franchisey things. He just wants to say his own shit as well. Like supposedly after Get Out, like he could have done Star Wars, but he was like, well, let me do us. Like he had lots of offers on the table. Boy, I don't know what I would think of his Star Wars. I don't either, but I I just... I would love to see a spinoff, but I don't want to see him... I think there's like certain limitations that come with doing a saga movie, like an official episode entry. Right. Not that like Ryan Johnson didn't like totally make it his own because he did. Right. But I would be really interested to give us a pretty safe episode nine. Yeah, I want to see. I think he'll do like a a spinoff type movie that like truly is like a deviation from what you expect from a Star Wars. I kind of want him to do a franchise that we don't know about or care about right now. Like, not that we don't know about, but something that's not in the sphere right now. Um, Because he apparently really wants to make Disney's Gargoyles and is like trying to pitch Disney on letting him do that. And I want that to happen more than anything. But if he is able to... Go ahead. Let him do whatever he wants. Well, like. let him do whatever he wants. But, <laughs> but like, I also think like if he is going to tackle a big franchise, X Men really seems to make sense for me, and like that would be yeah. super exciting, like the X Men reboot. But also, I just want to see him do something, like Nolan did Batman and rethought and like changed how we thought about Batman for a while. I want yeah. Peel to take that with something. Okay, here here is is my thing. I think that a first of all, I I would prefer Peel just keep making original stuff because, like Cody was saying, this feels like you know he had total control over the movie, and when you're making especially like a franchise movie, mm-hmm. it is hard to have complete control. Right, right. That's kind of why I want uh, him to launch a franchise that we like haven't thought about or like reboot. One. But when you launch a franchise, that either locks you into making all of the franchise, or it means that the second movie in the franchise is going to be someone copying his style, which literally no one can do. Right. So, right. like, maybe I'm fine with him making like gargoyles if he's just like taking IP and doing something with it. That's more what but I. But having mean. full full control. Right. Right. Um, right. I honestly don't care what he does. If it's originals, if it's franchise stuff, I'm going to be first in line to buy a ticket. I don't think there's any way he stays away from franchise stuff forever. Is honestly yeah, I think, I think he probably has enough interest in doing something like that. I mean, he's rebooting Twilight Zone because he loves Twilight Zone. Right. So. He's, he's too much of a fan of the shit to never do it, I think. Um, um, but I don't know. It's exciting. But also, like people like Spielberg never did a, a franchise movie. They launch franchises, so maybe that's right. it, right? Maybe he exactly. Maybe he doesn't like adapt one, but he launches his Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. But but Spielberg eventually right. like like took books and shit and started adapting those. Yeah, but, well, adapting uh, is different than like launching a franchise. Yeah, yeah like to to reboot something with like your own spin on it. Like how the Cohen brothers, they did this movie. It was like the Odyssey, but they like told it in like a different time. Right. Uh, what is a different place? What um, is interesting about that adaptation though is that they have gone on record and said that the only person on set who had read the Odyssey was Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> I haven't read it. That's incredible. Um I guess we're going to talk I, about Oh Brother Where Art Thou, but um yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good transition, huh? All right. So, we're going to talk about Oh Brother Where Art Thou and we're going to try and go through the plot. 
there's a lot of plot. There's a lot of scenes that happen. We can't just sit and let this be a quote fest, right, boys? Uh, um, hot damn! We're, uh, I don't want fop. God damn it! I'm a dapper um, Dan man. We're gonna argue in an OFT the the plot synopsis. I'm gonna tell you that right now. All right, well, we, let's try our we're, best. We're bona fide. Um, okay. So it's 1937 in Mississippi. Three convicts, Everett, Pete, and Dale Marr, escape from a chain gang in pursuit of a treasure that Everett has claimed to have buried. They're on a ticking clock because where he buried it is supposed to be turned into a lake soon. They encounter a blind man on a handcar who gives them a prophecy, saying that they will find a fortune, but not the one they seek. So that's the setup. We're introduced to our characters. Uh, Everett, played by George Clooney. Mm -hmm. Pete, played by... um, John Turturro, right? Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah. And then Delmar is uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson from the Incredible Hulk fame. <laughs> right. That's, um, that's where he made a name for himself. <laughs> as yep. the leader and has never come back. Right. Um, so somewhere out there, there's like a big brained man in the Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe wreaking havoc and not being stopped by the Incredible Hulk. Have you guys um, spoilers s- for the end game after credits? <laughs> what if it is? If it is leader, I will like, I I'm, will flip the fuck out. I'm just gonna scream and like I'm gonna be a problem. <laughs> like they're gonna have to like escort me out of the theater. You just will not stop screaming. Um, d- did you guys watch Kimmy Schmidt? Uh, I the first, the first season. two seasons. He eventually plays her dad, and he's so good in it. As he just plays like an idiot, um, which he's, he's also really good at doing. Like really good in the new in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yes, yes. that is the one segment that I really like. Um, as the titular Bu- Buster Scruggs. Correct. Anyway, this good movie. We're 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 set in this. We can already tell it's kind of high fantasy, but grounded right. in like this era of yeah, Mississippi. It's a, it's a really unique feel, and it's just immediately like so funny, but also just shot beautifully. I think it won so the Oscar funny. for cinematography, right? It did not. No, nope, it did not. Because you was, know who did it? Roger Deakins. Yeah. yeah. So here's the trick: if it wasn't a year ago and shot by Roger Deakins, it didn't win Best Cinematography. Got it. Um, it, it was, was nominated, nominated right? though. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely um, and what is, what's interesting about this film, the, the cinematography here is that it's one of the first films to have like digital color correction throughout. Oh, um, interesting. Because a lot of like, they filmed this when it was like really green and sunny and they were like, well, that's not the, the look yeah. we wanted. Can we just make right. it more so they brown? Had to, like, yeah. They, they made it more like sepia and yeah. like yellowy. Which really works. I really like oh, yes. the look of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they make their way to Pete's cousin Wash's house to hide out, but the cousin sells them out. They're hiding out in a barn, and the intense evil sheriff tries to burn them out. They're rescued by Wash's kid, who they later send back home to mind his paw. <laughs> Which, um, great, great part. There's so uh, much, there's so, like, this is what's hard about this movie is because you yeah. kind of want to dwell in every scene, right? Yeah. Like, so when they're eating dinner with a cousin, that's when yeah. you get the famous R-U-N-N-O-F-T. Right. Like, uh, and, and this is a this is a scene this fam this movie has been in my family for like since it came out it's been like a family favorite I think right. it, probably most mm-hmm. people have yeah. similar I discovered it early high school and oh, oh, mm-hmm. it was basically like um, the pre mark and the pre chad that I hung out with in high right. school <laughs> you just put um, it into each other the all thir- the time the three of us would just like do quotes from this movie. Yeah. Um, the, the, the horse thing from this scene, we would do a lot. The like, 
This horse is from, or it's like, a, horse is from last horse? Tuesday. I was worried it was starting to turn. Right, which <laughs> like is something. Yeah, it's, it's all literally, probably. I said literally, probably again in this podcast. <laughs> yep. Probably <laughs> about really self confident here. Seventy percent of the like lines of dialogue in this movie are funny and like actively make me laugh or at least like chuckle. Right. Um. Yeah. There's yeah, a, there's definitely. A, there's a part in this scene that's not a funny line at all. Like it does not stand out, but my grandfather who is obsessed with this movie and has probably watched it a hundred times, he always references it. And like, he always asks me like, do you know what that's from? It's from Oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> and it's what just uh, it? literally the way that wash says uh, possibly at one point, it's just the word possibly. <laughs> <laughs> possibly possibly yeah, possibly um but yeah he just yeah, says I, it like that and then he says do you know what that's from it's from a brother or <laughs> that great movie uh, um this movie really wasn't in my family or in my personal history like it sounded like it was in yours mm-hmm. i remember when my sisters were in high school my sisters are like 10 years older than me so they were in high school when this came out and i remember them watching it at some point and i just had you know no perception of what this was in elementary school Mm-hmm. Um and then I didn't watch it again until college. I think it's been a point. I it's been a part of my life since fifth grade, probably like a really young age. I saw this movie for the first time. Yeah, and I, I I don't remember. I don't have a vivid memory of a pre Oh Brother Where Art Thou life for me. Interesting. I like yeah. I mean, this was definitely the first Coens I saw. Um, yeah. easily, and I think it still kind of remains my favorite Cohen, potentially. Maybe. I think it was this and then um, Raising Arizona was the second one I saw, which is also a very, very good movie. (laughs) Yeah, that that one's pretty up there. But, I mean, I think Inside Lewin Davis is the one that is closest to this one in my head. It's real good. I also Um, love Burn After Reading. I really like the funny ones of the Raising Arizona, this one, and then uh, Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading, like, is incredible i really need it to rewatch that one we might so talk about great. it on the podcast like i might have to reevaluate some movie picks in the future <laughs> yeah, um i i watched it the, like last weekend and it is just so it is like as funny as this movie i think oh yeah um but with you know fewer characters well maybe not fewer characters but it's it's plot is isn't quite as all over the place and it's darker humor a bit definitely um yeah. Okay, so then they encounter Christians by a river, right. and Pete and Delmar get saved. My Which, sins have been washed away. When Pete says, well, I'll be a son of a bitch, <laughs> Delmar's <laughs> been saved. My, my favorite is they're just, like, talking about, like, do you want any, like, do you want any gopher? Yeah, uh, he says then, like, gopher Everett, the- like, 11 times, and he just keeps gopher getting ignored. Everett? <laughs> um, it, but, like... At, they're they're noticing this congregation walk by as they're like, like I don't think I want to go for like well there's plenty for each of us. <laughs> full gopher village. I <laughs> found a whole gopher village. That's right. But like and just a really funny line. But it's even funnier because he's delivering it so distracted by just like the massive people right. walking by. Fire, like it's the fucking yeah. like the forest in <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring where all the well elves are walking it, by. It yeah. is. It's it's a tribute to like what's so unique about this movie is it's like this heightened mysticism fantasy thing but it's also just like mississippi christians going down to a baptism right like, or, but right. It, 
it feels and it's also just mystical so goofy like right. It, right. it is like like half elevated mythological fantasy world and half like um the three dummies working their way through many, the world <laughs> yeah um so great it's it's well, very too- much the magic realism thing which like a lot of southern stories kind of tap mm-hmm. into um if you guys have seen big fish it kind of plays into this similar like magical realism like mm-hmm. kind of thing which works really well when understood well yeah. um because you know there's two kind of like standard southern stories and it's this like southern like um you know the high fantasy magical yeah. realism that sort of thing and then there's the southern gothic which is like kind of the dark inverse of this mm-hmm. um, both which are very well done and very um interesting kind of genres to evaluate southern stories don't necessarily get told the most right in this kind of way in in, in the in the way of how the south tells stories right we get a lot of stories told about the south and it tends to be uh the rough history of the south right yeah. or like things like sweet home alabama with reese witherspoon where it's just this artificial of version of the south that mm-hmm. like doesn't really exist right but like it's like someone from probably los angeles their idea of what alabama is like right where like it gone with the wind is also the kind of like not really southern i'm mm-hmm. probably gonna get like hanged for saying that but like because people love that so much but it's just like this May- big fish uh even you know on on the flip side like true detective and like um sharp objects for like the southern gothic thing it just mm-hmm. it just kind of taps into more what i feel like southern stories feel like and what the area kind of feels like, but in a much heightened way. I don't know. Sharp Objects is in St. Louis, which is not the South. It is not in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. That's where she is working as a reporter, but then she goes to like Hogwash is like literally the name oh, of that. Okay. So it's middle America, but it still is kind of the Southern feeling. Cody, Hogwash is the name of the school from Harry Potter uh, where they learn witchcraft and wizardry. That's not in the South. That's in like England, England or something. I think it's like an island off of it. England, so Ireland, yeah. right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how England Hogwash works. from Ireland. Yeah. Um. Are you, so what are happens? You done? What happens next <laughs> in the movie, Cody? <laughs> um. Okay. So. Um. They all get saved. They, yes, or they did, then hit a cross. Everett, Everett does not. They then hit a crossroads <laughs> and pick up a young black man named Tommy who has sold his soul to the devil, to the devil, so he can play the guitar well. So now Everett's the only one unaffiliated. Unaffiliated oh, is my to, favorite my favorite way your, to put that. For your everlasting soul, you <laughs> I wasn't using I wasn't it. doing anything with it. Yeah. It is so fucking good. It really um, is. So then they um they, they they need some money, so they stop at a radio station to record a song as the Soggy Bottom Boys. And without them knowing the song becomes a massive hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, get, spoiler alert: the song slaps. Slaps. It's a good song. The song super slaps. Everyone's dad loves this song. Uh, Am I everyone's dad? Yep. One okay. day you will be everyone's dad. Yeah. One day um, in the future, we are all everyone's dad. Um, um, going back. Yeah, to that it's mu- a good jam. So going back to that musician. Um, apparently, that's. The or he the character's name is the name of like a like a blues musician from that era, 
Um, oh, that gotcha. no one really knows where he came from, but apparently there's like a rumor that he sold his soul to the devil. I don't know. I don't buy right. it. Right. I remember reading about that a long time ago. But yeah. So do we want to talk about the music while we're talking about this particular song? The music in sure. the whole movie is so fucking good. It truly is. Um, it's just the whole soundtrack is fantastic. Apparently the, the, like the band or the people that like dubbed in the voices eventually were like, you know what? Let's just go on tour with this music. And they did. And it was hella successful. That's awesome. Wow. Did you know that George Clooney originally thought he was going to be singing and like trained for weeks (laughs) and then they told him like, no, you're not, you're not singing. It it is kind of weird. He's not. Honestly, because you can tell it's a much different voice. Is that later Timothy Blake Nelson does sing in like the later concert sing scene? Oh, that that really is that him. That really the, is him. Uh, in the jailhouse now. Yep. Yeah, that, me, I mean that it, sounds more like him. It's a much sense. easier song to sing as well. Is that actually uh, John, uh, whatever his last name is? Uh, Tutoring. I don't think so. I doubt it, yeah. But anyway, so this album is really good, right? One of the best movie soundtracks other than Shrek, the motion picture soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, y'all remember how Shrek has a hallelujah in it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Rufus we'll Wainwright cover. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it, but that may be one of the best soundtracks in film history. It is actually truly bizarre. Um, and, like, the way it employs music in that movie is actually so well done. Anyway, we'll talk about it at some point. Um, but this album, really good, right? Very good. Oh, yeah. It, it no, won I, I listen to this a lot. Well, it won the Grammy for Best Album of the Year. Not even, best like, Best Soundtrack? Album, I think. Best Album? No, no. It, the biggest award, the one that Casey Musgraves won this year, it won best album. I mean, period. that's incredible. And like, yes, they earned it. Uh, every song rules. Um, yeah, yeah. That's happened a couple times where it's been a soundtrack, but um, it doesn't happen a ton. Hmm. And yeah, Oh Brother doing it is. <laughs> insane i'm learning in this segment that i truly don't know how to talk about music in a podcast (laughs) other than just like getting excited and saying the album is so good the songs are good there's a reason (laughs) we do a movie podcast and not a music podcast um because yeah i don't know how to talk about it either spoiler alert for um well i guess it's not a spoiler alert um so as you guys heard up top we have a new theme song and I was texting with our friend Eli from the purely nostalgia podcast, which is a good podcast and you guys should go listen to it, but he made our theme song. So thank you, Eli. But I was texting with him trying to give him notes on the music and I sounded like a maniac because uh, like we wanted, like I wanted the drums to be different and I didn't know how to describe it. So I was like, Currently, they sound like orc drums, and I kind of want more like Tron drums. I so like you're couldn't using figure out your, like, the words. You're using your language of movies to talk right. about. That's incredible. Cody, I, I just wanted them like deeper, and I couldn't, and like behind the music a bit, and I couldn't figure out how to like describe that. Um, I just um, went to, to fact check you, and I was like, well, no, it didn't win in 2000. That's when um, Supernatural by Santana won. But it would have been 2001. The soundtrack didn't come yes. out until 2002, actually. Oh. So did this movie actually come out in 2001? 
And this is one of our weird things where we followed the letter. Um, no, I think the soundtrack came out later. That's weird. Yeah, but soundtracks do that sometimes. Oh, you know what? Actually, the Grammy window is fucking weird. It it's came like weirder out, than the Oscar window. It's it came, not calendar year. It's like like you have to release it by October right. for it to be in consideration. And Oh Brother or Art Thou was released December 22nd of 2000. So it's That's very it late in the year 2000 and then the grant and then the album was released later and the Grammys are weird. So it's all No, no, no. Things. I I think th- I think the album came out in December, but they had missed the window for the 2001 ceremony. God, fuck that. So then, then they were Gosh. they were in the window for the 2002 ceremony That's because crazy. It, they fell so, into the 2001. Not only did they win best album, but they had to wait the entire year and a half for the movie and the album to go like irrelevant and it didn't right. <laughs> and right. it still won. Yeah. God, that's so insane. Gosh. But yeah, that's why you'll see like a lot of artists release their albums like early October, late September. So they can still have Grammy. That doesn't uh, make a lick of sense. No, but that's also why like um, shallow was up for a Grammy this year, but the Star is Born soundtrack won't be up for anything until the next Grammys. Oh, I mean, fuck the Grammys. The single. Weird. Like, um, God, I don't want to hammer this point home too much, but I do want to point out, because I was noticing it this year, right? And this, um, this just further proves, like, the weirdness of it. So they had, like, their best, like, soundtrack ones... Um, mm-hmm. and let me find it. Um, so like for this particular year, the best compilation soundtrack. So that's where they like pick songs from, you know, pre-existing things. It was the greatest showman, which came out last December. Call me by your name, Deadpool two, Ladybird, and stranger things season two. But then best score was black Panther, Blade Runner, 2049, Coco, the shape of waters and star Wars, the last Jedi. I feel like you just talked about a full year ago. I feel like you just talked about three years of movies. Exactly. In one. Right. That's insane. Yeah. And then like the song written was shallow from stars born, all the stars from black Panther. But then remember me from Coco. This is me. Greatest showman mystery of love from call me by your name. So like the the song. Can we talk about Mystery of Love from Call Me by Your Name? Because <laughs> that song is also very. It's good. very good, <laughs> but 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 so like the the songs that are nominated for movies for Grammys will never line up for what gets nominated for best song at the Oscars. Except for literally basically, shallow. Oh, you mean like all five won't? Well, right, because this is from two years of best song nominees, like. The Mystery of Love, Remember Me, and This Is Me were all nominated the previous year for Best Song. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Fuck the Grammys. What, yeah. what happens next in this movie? <laughs> Sorry. I know that was a tangent, but it's it's bizarre. Um, so they accidentally fall in with George Babyface Nelson and help him with a heist before he runs off with his share of the loot. Um, the three main characters Which, here, Cy- a- again. Oh, George, not the livestock. Makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> it's very <laughs> funny. he shoots also, up the cow. Just, just all of them being like, so what business are you in while he's leaning out the window with a gun shooting at the cops? <laughs> right. And just hundreds right. of dollars are floating around. It's all um, so funny. Like I, so I feel funny. like I can't stop every time something's funny because no, everything we is actually have so a lot funny. Yeah, go yeah. on. Um, 
So the three main characters, they hear sirens singing and follow the voices to find three ladies cleaning their clothes and singing. Mm-hmm. They're seduced by the sirens. Everett and Delmar wake up and they think that Pete has been transformed into a horny toad by the sirens. <laughs> yeah. They encounter... Which is, they, which is really good. It's really good. Then they encounter Big Dam, played by John Goodman, a Bible salesman with a huge personality and one eye uh, who mugs them and kills the toad. Um, yeah. Them in, so, the, in the restaurant talking about what happened and saying, um, uh, because well he, he fornicated. And then he says, we were about to fornicate. And the waitress walks up as we they were say, we were about to. fornicate. <laughs> um, it's... I, I, so much is so funny. Like the noise Pete makes when he hears the sirens at first. Uh, yeah. He lets out this shriek. This was a scene. <laughs> the siren scene was a scene that my parents made me skip when I watched this as a young age, which I was, oh my. thought was kind of weird. <laughs> like, There's like kind of nothing there. When I finally hot. saw it, I always was like, right. why did why did they want me to skip this? <laughs> it is weird. The, yes, they all are gorgeous, but like I guess they don't want you to see pretty women. Um, I don't know. They, they, was, they were they were soaking wet, and they were rubbing up on the men. I guess is what I it guess. was. The, also, any kind of sexuality is just like they're also right. like wearing wearing white and just soaking wet. So like. Yeah. Um. Definitely a, a risk of some see throughness. My parents would always make me skip um the torture scene in the Princess Bride. Um. Mm. Don't. Wait, wait, that's that's weird. I feel like that's mostly played for laughs. Yeah, the torture no, scene. it totally is. Were, were you boys made to skip the kiss scene in Spider Man then? Because talk about like a soaked through shirt. Like, hey man, being, like I didn't see Spider Man until around the time Spider Man three came out. So what the fuck? Weird. Anyway. Um. So. The the other thing I want to talk about here is John Goodman plays Big Dan, a very mm-hmm. small role. Mm-hmm. Like well, not he mm-hmm. like he comes in and like, <laughs> he's a big boy. And they a don't small call him Small Dan, right? Well, and he comes back later, but still kind of a bit yeah. part. He is yeah. above the poster. Like it is George Clooney, <laughs> John Turturro, Tim Blake Nelson, and John Goodman. And it's like, well, I guess <laughs> it makes you think he's in it a lot more than he is. Yeah, he's in one more scene, right? Yes, um, or a big it, scene, but still, literally just two scenes. Kind and of. he's yeah. also playing like of all of these characters, he is the one that is like straight from the Odyssey. Right, he's the he Cyclops. Is the Cyclops yeah. yeah, we have the sirens. We have the Cyclops. We just have like this world's version of those things. Yeah, yeah. It, he's Scott Summers. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mark. I'm uh, trying to figure <laughs> out like was was John Goodman just a big deal at this time? And the answer seems to I be mean, yeah. I mean, not any bigger than normal. I mean, he was in Big Lebowski <laughs> I, two years before. I mean, uh, this well, is he was post, Pacha this year. This is post Pacha. Po- post Roseanne, right? Is this really post Pacha? This is, is this post Roseanne? Uh yeah, definitely oh, post yeah. Roseanne. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's post it's post yeah, Pacha. Everybody had Pacha it's fever. It's concurrent with Pacha. Yeah, I think yeah. He's probably working anyway. on both around the same time. Mm-hmm. But right. Really just going from one set one set to the other. Yeah. I mean it's it is a small <laughs> role, but it is a very memorable role. Like Yeah. I, I feel it, like, it definitely is. Yeah. And John Goodman, like, he's a like reliable actor mm-hmm. and is truly so good and it is a fucking travesty he has never won an oscar he could have um, won it for this best supporting i sort of don't think he's has he been nominated surely but i sort of feel like maybe not i can't imagine a world where he hasn't been but well, i also I can't agree. imagine a world where he hasn't won one so what do i know 
genre stuff gets ignored, but oh my god, he should have won it for Tin Cloverfield Lane. I like, truly, Jesus, I do um, not like, think he's what been. A performance. Oscar, I don't see an Oscar nomination on here. What wow. the fuck? He has any nominations. While, the while we're talking about Ten Cloverfield Lane, I think if you just removed that from the franchise and just called it The Basement, um, it would have had Oscar attention. Possibly. He's got a lot of Emmys. I think it's literally the franchise was working against it. A lot of Emmys and Golden Globes. He has a Kids Choice Award nomination for Jungle Book 2. Does he he have anything like Annie's he's probably got for playing uh, Sully? um, Sully was not nominated. Um, Which he's doing great work there. What the fuck? Like, I'm pissed off. Let's move on. So Everett convinces Pete and Delmar to help him win his wife back. Nope, I skipped a lot. (laughs) Sorry. Delmar and Everett arrive in Everett's hometown. Everett finds out from his daughters that his wife has a new bona fide suitor. Delmar and Everett find out that Pete has been recaptured into a chain gang, and they break him out. He's not actually a toad. The sirens apparently turn Pete into the police, and Pete was tortured into revealing the location of the treasure. Everett confesses that there is no treasure, and that he was just trying to escape to prevent his wife from getting married, and he needed help, and that the reason he was sent to jail was because he was practicing law unpracticed or unlicensed. Uh, this, of course, does not make Pete and Delmar happy because they wanted some treasure. Okay, so I have a question about yeah. all of this, right? And I hate to be like the cinema sins, like find a plot hole in all of this stuff, but were people like using the word horny back then to talk about like people that were like trying to fuck? Or was it just like a toad that know. like had horns? Well, I mean, a horny toad is like a real thing. Yeah, but yeah. like, it's, but, like was but it like they... horny? Like was that supposed to be a joke? Because he was fixing yeah. to fornicate. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a double layered thing. Okay. Also, who cares? Anyway, oh, Holly Hunter plays his wife, Elastigirl, She's back at great. it again. Very and good in this. So in this sequence, he meets the new husband. Uh, he's bona fide. Yeah, and they fight. And he's bona fide. And they fight. And that scene, <laughs> damn it, it makes me laugh so much. <laughs> That's why it's so Everett funny. is so bad at fighting. And he I just really, keeps getting punched in the face. I really can't put my finger on exactly what's so funny about that fight, except for Everett is really bad at it. And the other, and yeah. also just like bare knuckle boxing, everyone looks dumb when they bare knuckle box. Yeah. I also think it's subversion a little bit, right? Like he's our hero. You expect him to lay out the new husband and it just like doesn't happen. And it's it's, it's also like he, he doesn't land a single hit and he's just no. getting and it's only face shots that yes. he's landing on them. And George Clooney's face just gets funnier and funnier after every punch because he's like surprised every single time. Um, it's, it's a just masterclass in comedy this this scene (laughs) this whole movie movie. yeah so so the trio stumble into a clan rally where the clan is about to hang tommy they disguise themselves as clan members to rescue tommy but are revealed by big dan who is a clan member well also they put on they put on like black makeup so that like they won't be able to right not to do blackface yeah Yeah, it's to like hide in the mud yes but then it ends up working out for them right um I the always saw was, it as just, did they put on the mud? Or I just thought they were just dirty. I think they got down in the mud or something. But yeah. the, it, they were trying to disguise themselves, but like not uh, not in black face. Right, right. Because like, I was worried about that because I was like, uh-oh. It just but in then turn, it truly turned is, out they were to just like, trying to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, this scene, 
I've gotten in fights about this scene because I swear that it's intentionally supposed to be reminiscent of the flying monkeys in The Wizard of Oz. When, like, you've got the three friends going in to uh, save Dorothy and uh, they're marching outside the castle going, oh, 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 oh. And then when the three friends peek up from behind the bush and the uh, the clansmen are marching in a similar way, doing a similar chant. I swear it's like an intentional cinematic parallel, but I don't know what they're trying to say or do with that. Well, it makes sense. And then, so we'll get, uh, let me run through this part of the plot real quick, and I think it makes sense. The Grand Wizard is revealed to be Homer Stokes, a politician r- running for election. Right. The Grand Wizard, the Wizard of Oz, he's revealed to be a phony. The boys run away with Tommy, cutting the support of the big flaming cross, which falls and crushes Big Dan, like the water hits the witch. I would have never put that together, but now that you pointed out, that's 100%. It's directly the end of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And then he returns home. Yeah, that that is exactly what that scene is. Which so is good just job, Jen. an interesting like choice. Like, yeah, it, it absolutely. Works, but it's like it's just weird that they're like doing the Odyssey, but then they're also doing the KKK, but then they're mm-hmm. also doing the Wizard of Oz. I don't know. I like it. You're right. That is a 100% Wizard of Oz. The that scene. Um, they, it may have just been a reference. Like, the, so the Odyssey is very like episodic, mm-hmm. and you know very like story and like wizard of oz is kind of episodic to some degree it's alice in wonderland you know they're kind of playing with all of those yeah yeah Yeah. it's really the story structure of the odyssey that that they're playing with here and it's just like you know main guy trying to get home runs into a cast of characters um which is very much wizard of oz alice in wonderland um kind of thing yeah um damn like that that's like a film like heavy film criticism brilliant reading of it i I, i'm i'm a big fan chad well hey um there's sometimes i catch things like that but i'm not gonna catch it in every movie like i said this i don't remember a time this movie hasn't been a part of my life so i've had a lot of time i guess that's true when you watch it so much it like lets your mind wander to the other stuff that you might not yeah this is truly like my comparison is nothing you do um which is a, a different type of movie um, but <laughs> one it? that I have seen uh, that many times. Yeah. Is well, there... I mean, like, so earlier today I watched Toy Story and started, like, waxing poetic about how brilliant the scene is when they fly because it's, like, a culmination of, like, the whole thing. And it's actually, like, a gorgeous, beautiful scene. And, like, mm-hmm. I didn't think that the first time I watched it. <laughs> you know, it's just, sure. like, watching all the pieces fall into place and, like, knowing movies. So I guess that is as a much very as I like scene. to watch... Yes. What, as much as I'd Woody like to saying, watch Buzz you're flying and then Buzz saying it's not flying it's falling with style. Falling with style it's and great. then Woody is the one who says to infinity and beyond. Yeah. And he embraces it. Yes. It's yeah. truly it's their the friendship culminates and it's friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's a masterpiece. But like so so a lot could be said towards rewatching movies. I like to watch a bunch of new stuff, but also it is good to sometimes revisit things um, because then you get cool readings like Chad did. Um, so Everett convinces Pete and Delmar to help him win his wife back. They disguise themselves in, in beards and they sneak into a Homer Stokes gala and begin playing their new hit song, which the crowd goes wild for. Which they don't Stokes know is re- a hit song. 
Right, they right. just start singing the song they know. Uh, Stokes recognizes them from before and demands that they be arrested while exposing his white supremacist views, which cause him to be R-U-N-O-F-T out of town. Right. Um, Pappy O'Daniel, the incumbent, seizes this opportunity to endorse the Soggy Bottom Boys and give them a full pardon. Mm-hmm. Penny, Everett's ex, agrees to remarry him as long as he finds her ring. Well, also, we forgot to mention that her bona fide husband works for the... Um, the bad candidate. Ah, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I love how w- all it took for the town to like turn against who was going to win the election was that like he wanted to shut down this like really good country music show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't even think it's like the revelation that he's a clan member. I think it's truly no, that, that really. he's <laughs> anti the Soggy Bottom Boys. Yeah. And there's such stands that they, uh, is that, did I use that right? I, mm-hmm. I, I know you stand yeah, yeah, things, yes, but yes, they yes. are stands. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It comes from that the they, that they just won't have it. Chad is just now learning slang <laughs> that has existed for like, you know, two years. I was, I just explained to someone what stand was and I did a pretty good job. Uh, I was still struggling on. So I'm not the last person to know about Stan is all I'm saying. Because I just had to explain it to somebody. But uh, yeah, second Um, to last person. I was going to say something. I mean, the the beards look bad, but uh, the song is good. And uh, they sing in the jailhouse now first. And uh, the yodeling in that song is another thing that cracks me up every single time I hear it. It's good yodeling, though. It's good yodeling, but it's mostly the facial expressions. <laughs> John Turturro yeah. is so good in this movie. They're all good. This cast, like all of them, are phenomenal. Yeah, I think the, um, I think the main three boys are like really. Maybe all three of them could have been nominated for for acting awards. It kind of feels like one of Clooney's best performances. Um, the Coens really, get like, the best in. out of Clooney. I think it's either this or uh, Burn After Reading that he's just doing his best work. I think he's better he's in real this good than in Burn o- After Reading. Um, I think so, too. He's real good in Ocean's Eleven, yep. but he is kind of being George Clooney a bit. I think that he's um, also kind of being George think, Clooney in this movie as well. Or at least, yeah, at least Southern George Clooney. Yes. Being, I think George Clooney is best when he's being an idiot who thinks he's the smartest person in the room. Yes. And less, yes, yes, like yes, in, yes, in, yes, in yes. Ocean's Eleven, he's like actually cool. Mm-hmm. But in both Burn After Reading and in No Brother Where Art Thou, he's like... He is just as dumb as Delmar or Pete, but he just like has this faux like leadership idea yes. that he's smarter than them. He's been he's right. been blessed with the gift of gab, as he tells um, John Goodman. <laughs> right. Um. So the group goes to the cabin where the ring is supposed to be, but are ambushed by the sheriff and his goons, who are conveniently ignoring the news of the group's pardons. The sheriff orders them to be hanged, but they are saved by the lake coming in and flushing everyone out. Our heroes are saved, and Everett finds the ring in one of the cabinets that is floating by. But it turns out this isn't the ring Penny wanted, and she can't remember where she put the real ring, but she won't get married to him <laughs> until he finds the ring. And right. then the movie just kind of ends. Yeah. Setting up for a sequel. Oh, oh brother uh, not really like but <laughs> <laughs> um, um that, well them's them's the movie yeah i mean the we didn't really one talk thing about in the, in the it, finale go I, ahead mark i was i was gonna say that the the sheriff guy who at the end catches them is the devil the devil right 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's supposed he, to be he like fits the, devil, the description yeah. that the musician gives them of of the person that he sold their his soul to. Um, and when they're like, "Well, we got pardoned," he's very much like, "Well, I don't care. That doesn't affect me." Yeah. 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 Um, then another thing about this finale, like that, I just love is that Everett when he's about to die, he like prays out, like he's just having this moment of like faith. And then mm-hmm. as, as soon as he survives through it, he just like dismisses it all. And then he sees mm-hmm. a sign of like something actually supernatural, like the, the cow on a roof, which the prophet from the beginning yeah. of the movie mentioned before. And he just shrugs it off. Like he's just, right. he's had this one moment of like faith and then is completely moved on and back on his bullshit does not change at all. Um, you know, it sort of makes sense that this movie, I think it is kind of beloved in Christian circles mm-hmm. um, because like everybody, like there was a youth group that I went to a lot and all of them loved the Coens, yeah. but specifically this movie, well, like, cause yeah. it kind of touches on some Christian themes while still being like a very like entertaining and fun movie. That is yeah. wild because the Coens are like famously nihilistic. Um, yeah, and then this movie is one, I mean, with those, these final scenes specifically, it seems to embrace something that, like, critiques nihilism. Um, and th- a little a, bit, yeah. A, a lot of their work plays with that, like, I think I think their whole body of work is sort of like a debate of, like, nihilism versus, like, a belief in something. Mm-hmm. Um, right, which is, I don't like their more nihilistic movies. See, I do. Right. I think but, but you like... Is- uh, Inside Lewin Davis is pretty bleak and uh, <laughs> I know. life is meaningless. I think kind of a, burn after reading is very like literally the last line is like, what did we learn? And they're like, I guess nothing. I guess <laughs> yeah. don't do it again. And they're like, well, yeah, what did yeah. we do? And they're like, fuck if I know. And then literally like roll credits. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But like so good. in this movie, there is definitely like a motif of faith. Like water kind of represents mm-hmm. salvation in this movie. Um, with the, with the sirens and with, you know, the baptism and with the flood. Um, so there, there really is a strong element of like, you know, belief in something kind of kind of pulls you through and whether that belief is in treasure or in family or in salvation or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, even when we don't claim that we believe in something, we believe we do believe in something to like yeah. carry us through because like, yeah. you know, um, Everett says he's unaffiliated, but he still is like believing in his, like his love his for his marriage, wife or yeah, his, his family, journey yeah. or in himself. Like there is still some kind of belief that propels him forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's good. <laughs> it's yeah. a good movie. So um, real, real good movie. I just love it so much. The only Best Picture alumni from this movie that I could piece together is just the Coens, who we had talked about previously in Fargo. Um, I would have thought that some of these yeah. people would have been in Fargo, but I couldn't find it. We haven't seen yeah. Clooney or Goodwin in anything? No. No. Crazy. I know. I also found not it like, very hard to believe. Not like an obscure Tim Blake Nelson that was like barely in a scene no. or something? No, I went back on all the main characters. Are you like sure they weren't back. somewhere in Magnolia? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feels like they could be, but Truly. No. I feel like everyone um, was in Magnolia at some point. Yeah. I was in Magnolia at some point. Um, 
I think Paul F. Tompkins has a joke where he's like, you can just at anybody on Twitter and say, hey, I just saw you in Magnolia. And they will have to stop and ask themselves, wait, was I in Magnolia? <laughs> I, think <that laughs> was, like a, I think that was Patton Oswald who is barely in Magnolia. Well, Paul F. Tompkins is also barely wait, in Magnolia. Wait, is he really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> so maybe you're right, but it, it, it's one of no, them. No. Are you sure it's Magnolia that Paul, Paul, Paul F. Tompkins yes. is in? Yes, I thought because yes, 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 he's yes. he's also he's in, in. There will be blood. Yes. Like he's in that one. Okay. Um, Still anyway. a very minor character in that. Yeah. Um, so, what do you boys think, he... think is the best movie of the year two thousand? Yeah, I guess we can wrap it up. Of the ones um, we've watched so far, um, it's a tight race, but I have to give it to O Brother. Where art thou? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just just clarifying, yeah. just making sure we're on the same page. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think it's the best one we've talked about so far. Chad, have you seen the the parody of this movie put out by um, uh, Winnie the Pooh called Oh Bother, Where Art Thou? Oh, okay, that was a wonder I, where for this was going. like a second. I thought it was a real thing. <laughs> no, until you said Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> and then I was pretty much, yeah. Thanks. Um. I also think this is the best movie of 2000. Hey, boys, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can, um, you can, chat. F- you can find me at Chad A. Oliver across all social media platforms. That's Instagram. That's Twitter. Looks like we're not getting Vine 2.0 anytime soon. Um, I downloaded TikTok. Wasn't for me. Deleted that. Uh, but yeah, You know it's not for me. you because you are uh, over the age of 17. True, truly. That's seventeen that, might that's even the, be that's old the for litmus that. Test. Huh. You can find me on, at Wellington Mark on all platforms. That's like Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxed, Venmo. Oh yeah, you Square. can find me on Letterboxd at that that same handle as well. You can find me at Cody Lunsford on Letterboxd. You can follow me at Cody Lunsford underscore on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow the show at We Pick Picks on Twitter and Instagram. That's W E P I C K P I C S, where um, we have a new logo. Um, I guess, is it a logo or it's an image? I don't know. A new podcast poster. image. A poster. A movie. Yeah, a, yeah, a new poster. We're rebranding. We have new a new image. We have new music. Special thanks again to uh, Eli Smith for making that new music for us. Go listen to the podcast Purely Nostalgia. Their most recent episode is on the straight-up masterpiece Shrek. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's going to be oh, it. Well, so, one more thing. Uh, the Chattanooga Film Festival is coming up in April 11th yes. through 14th. I will, of course, be there. Cody will be there for Saturday and Sunday. It'll be a yep. good old time. By the time that this episode it, drops, the schedule will be released. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> because me as a planner, I'm very stressed out that I don't know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to do in four weeks. Uh, well, two weeks. Um, yeah, if you are at the Chattanooga Film Festival for whatever reason, come find me and Mark and talk to us. Um, the tickets like aren't that expensive. Um, they're very reasonable for the amount of movies that yeah. you get to see. So there's some cool shit. There's a anime that I'm very interested in made from a spinoff studio of Studio Ghibli. Um, there is a movie that the um, director of Kim Possible. Um, the director of Kim Possible made, but then the director of Primer is starring in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, there's some interesting choices. A documentary about the Church of Satan is uh, one that I'm that excited That actually looks about. really good. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Hey, Chad, what's the best movie of 2000? Oh, brother, where art thou? Hey, Mark, uh, what's the best film of the year 2000? Oh, uh, brother, where art thou? Hey, Cody, what is the best film of 2000? Just in 2000. 2000. <laughs> <laughs> the best movie of 2000 is Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Remember, everyone, damn, we're in a tight spot. Um, next episode, we'll be talking about one of the best Steven Soderbergh movies from the year 2000. Um, it's definitely top two. It's Aaron Brockovich. Uh, you can see it on stars.